Ho, 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 we made this. to Don't Say the C Word, the podcast during difficult times in 2020, where I have a different guest about something different each time. And we are into podcast pilot season. What I'm doing is I've got five podcast ideas that I really like, but I'm going to give them a go. I'm going to give them a whirl. I'm going to give them a pilot. I've already done two. If you've not had a listen to those, you can listen to Ink Stories, which is about tattoos, Or you can listen to Ask A, which is about talking to marginalised people about their minority. But that is not what we're doing today. We are piloting Geek Polymath. And Geek Polymath is a show about me being into quite a lot of things, but not an avid fan of pretty much anything. And as such, what I do is I get someone that I consider to be an expert to have a chat about something that I like quite a lot. And I'm really pleased to be able to say I've got Rob Holden from the Marvel vs. Marvel podcast to talk to me about Marvel Comics. And he really is a perfect example of an expert to my polymath knowledge. So I really hope you enjoy this podcast pilot of Geek Polymath. And welcome to Geek Polymath, a podcast about casual and avid fandom. My name is Mark and I am a Geek Polymath. I like lots of geeky things and have a good working knowledge of many of them. From Doctor Who, to Star Wars, to Pokemon. Every episode I have a guest who is an avid fan of something that I quite like and we have a chat about their favourite geekery, the appeal and its fandom. And with me at this time is Rob Holden. Hello, Rob. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm all right, considering the situation. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast wouldn't be happening if it weren't for a certain situation. But on this podcast, we don't say the C word because it's utterly irrelevant. I think this podcast would still be happening. The universe needs this podcast, Mark, but we'd be together in the same room doing it, you know, over over a much more pleasant... Uh, and convivial atmosphere. And that's the thing about podcasting, isn't it? It is so much nicer when you're sat around one microphone together and having a conversation rather than kind of trying to look at your notes and look at each other on a screen. But this is what 2020 is. <laughs> yes, uh, the, there is an old adage that... Oh, I, no, you know what? I'm, that adage is a bit too rude. I'm not going to go into that adage. You, you have to use what nature gave you. You can't... You can't perform with an imaginary appendage, shall we say. <laughs> Lovely. So, Rob, what area of geekery are you an expert in? 
Well, it's it's interesting when you reached out and chatted to me about it. I I kind of immediately went on the defensive to say, well, no, 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 no. But that is wrong. I you know, Marvel Comics is and much more recently has become, I guess, my field of dare I say expertise. You know, I, I've always always been an avid avid. You know, fan and reader, but recently during lockdown, hey, guess what? Started a podcast. Um, Crazy. <laughs> you which, started uh, one successful one. I started four moderately okay <laughs> ones that a few folk listen to. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was it was through. I mean, that that podcast hinges and relies entirely on on my expertise in the realm of Marvel comics. So. Yes, I, I. It just feels. It just doesn't feel very British, does it? To say, "Look at me, I'm the expert," but I'm having to uh, stamp that impulse down and say, "No, yes, I am. I guess I am the expert." And it's um, it's something that I've always really liked, but not been having listened to your podcast, Marvel versus Marvel. I kind of pat myself on the back when you like hit the, the kind of fact bombs. I get about 30 to 50% of them like, oh, I knew that. I knew that That's one. That's very good. Yeah, That's very so, good. It's a good, good batting average, that. Yeah, so, but when you just hit me with, like, casual facts like, oh, yeah, Hitler's in the Marvel Universe. He's called the hate monger. <laughs> what now? <laughs> and this is way beyond my knowledge. You, I think... I think well, well we'll go into this in a bit in a, in future but I think I've never expanded over the comics I was reading as a kid I've never gone further back like you have we're a similar age but your knowledge of the 60s and 70s stuff is phenomenal compared to me who's I, I couldn't be asked I just went straight on and carried on reading kind of thing and didn't really go back into the history of it but there's there's a very peculiar and particular reason for that <clears throat> which is that being um, a comic book fan uh, of of our age in the UK, <laughs> an American comic book fan, a superhero comic book fan, was difficult unless you lived in one of the metropolitan hubs, which which I did not. Mm-hmm. D- there were no comic book shops growing yeah. up. There were none. Got all your comic books from the newsagents, whatever they happened to start. WH Smith's. I can remember when they started to sell a third comic book. It was the greatest day of yeah, and of course you could only afford one, uh, one or two a month. But yeah, in amongst all of that, there is to me is the greatest moment of my childhood, the greatest moment of my childhood, and I will never ever forget the feeling of this moment and this evening. We visited my dad's parents, my nanny granddad, and. Like some bizarre Father Christmas, my dad emerged from the attic with a bin bag full of the comic books he grew up reading in the 1960s. Amazing. Which were UK-published comic books called um, Terrific, Fantastic, I believe there's one other, and and, and these were repackaged Marvel comics, um, black and white reprints of those original stories so as a child growing up in the 80s i am reading the the stuff coming out in the 1980s getting to a comic book shop once every five or six weeks Mm. making the making the trek to stoke-on-trent 
to get to the only comic book shop in, in the area. But at the same time, I have this sack full of the original X-Men, the original Iron Man, Spider-Man, Hulk. All of it is there. And I can remember traveling back in the in the in the car from my nan and granddad's house desperately holding the comic book up to the window to to try and read by the street lights and and <laughs> there's only there's that couple of seconds where you get the street light and then it's dark again got to wait for the next one because my grandparents all live out in the country so you've got to hold on and wait for that next bit of light and you can read another panel and and that was forever burned in my mind but that's why i i, I kind of i, I think it is a weird thing to say to yourself, I shall go back and read stuff from the 60s and mm. the 70s. Luckily for me, it was there right at the start of my journey. Fascinating. So you are my Marvel Comics expert, but what else do you do? Before we get into our big chat about Marvel Comics, although we have kind of started, whatever. Um, <laughs> before we get into the big chat, what else do you do that makes you interesting? Because you are, frankly, a fascinating man who has done some very cool shit. Uh, pre-apocalypse or post-apocalypse? What are we talking? Oh. <laughs> I often answer the question saying I am I am a writer, I'm a comedian, and writer. I, I was performing stand-up comedy and, and ran a comedy club um, for for fifteen years. And during that time, I pivoted away from performing and focused on what I really love doing, which is writing comedy, and began. Writing for comedians is a bit misleading. Sometimes I do that. I, I Sometimes I do hand over a page of material, perhaps. But in general, I sit down with comedians and I help to master and tinker their work and their material. I sit down, listen to life stories and work out how we can turn that into you know, a show for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Awesome. And I've been very, very lucky to be able to write and develop material for some comedy TV shows like Mock the Week and other stuff on Comedy Central and things. And uh, so, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful job when I get to do it. Yeah, of course. I think you're the only person I know that's written for The Beeb and Channel 4 and stuff like that, and it's an incredibly impressive thing. Well, I suppose... Um, I think when you speak to anyone about any accomplishment, you, you know, you'll have exactly the same... You must have this at every wedding you run in that someone will come up to you and say, I cannot believe what you have been able... I can't... It's just, just so amazing. You speak in front of all those people. And mm. that, that, that is... It, you know, it's, it, it's from the outside. When you're, when you're in it, they're, they're wonderfully fun experiences. They're great challenges, which is something I never thought growing up I would enjoy a challenge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it used to be, oh, no, I don't want to do anything difficult. No, thank you. But as you, as you kind of get older, or, or perhaps it's just my mindset, I, I always spent my whole life not thinking I didn't want challenges. And then you get them, and they're brilliant because mm. you, you kind of realise how much you can do. Yeah, um, I agree. Which is a wonderful thing, yeah. Well, you know, you only get one life in my, well, in my belief system, and... Just fucking live it. And you and I have both had great fun behind the commentary booth of uh, professional wrestling. You still do that. I've taken a step away. But people come to me and talk to me about that. And uh, how can you do that? How do you get that knowledge? How do you how do you become that kind of thing? And I'm like, well, you kind of trip over and land on your feet and have a few mates that are in the business was my shit answer. <laughs> and we never got to work together, which I'm genuinely disappointed about. And um, 
We won't now because, like I say, I'm not really interested in that side of my life. I did 10 years and I think the current situation that we don't talk about on this podcast was the final nail in my coffin as I moved towards the celebrant work, you know? That's that's true of, of tons and tons of comedians as well. It's just because these jobs can be so difficult or even if they're not difficult, they take a heck of a lot of your time and your mental energy and your spiritual energy. Mm. And sometimes it just takes... It, but it might not have been the current situation. It could have just been petrol's gone up 10p. Fuck it, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, there's always a final nail. Um, yeah, I, 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 but you, it's, a, it's a good point about... No, I said this to a, a comedian I'm working with at the moment. We're collaborating on, on potentially writing a sitcom together. And they keep saying, you'll have to do that or you'll have to guide me because I'm not a writer. And I have to stop and say to them, no one's a writer until they're a writer. And that is just a universal <laughs> truth. No one is the thing until they're the thing. It's just how it is. No one actually knows what they're doing at Shh. any level. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell people that. My life's been a blag. You just ruined it. <laughs> well, it's it, but it's it's like you saying, asking me, you know, would you be the expert on Marvel Comics? And my initial instinct, part of perhaps the imposter syndrome or mm. the British just downplaying syndrome, is to go, oh no, that couldn't possibly be me. And he said, Rob, you do a podcast where you are literally the Marvel expert, and you've been doing it for six months. Oh yeah, no, now you say it, yeah, you're not the thing until you're the thing. Three hours. Every fortnight on your podcast suggests I'm right on this one, Rob. <laughs> Imposter syndrome, man. It's a bitch. It really, really is. Look at us spreading the kind of positivity in a crap time. <laughs> there are so many positives that have come out of it, though. True. I don't think I could have survived. Not survived. I would have. As I'm, I'm, I'm very privileged. You've got some wonderful friends and family around me and all of that stuff. And I'm, I'm you know not going hungry, not going starving, but creatively I needed a podcast. Mm. I needed something to throw my creative weight into and I kind of needed something that is, again, a challenge, as you will know, in a whole different way to anything else you've done before on so many different fronts, marketing and and recording and research and, and networking and all of these different things you have to master to 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 just get anyone to listen to you yeah yeah and i feel that i it's kept me sane it's nice that people listen is probably my attitude towards it all we have a an ethos which is we do it for us yeah and if you can if if the small audience you amass can sustain you and i don't mean that financially I just mean if you feel there's some inherent worth, mm. if you enjoy it, if you enjoy it and no one listens, it's shouting down a well, and eventually you get sick of shouting down a well. Eventually you get sick of being the guy at the party boring someone about the thing they want to talk about when the other person is like, I just want to, I just want to have fun, mate. I don't want to learn about yeah. 1960s Marvel comics. <laughs> but when you suddenly go, oh, there's actually a big group of people that are that are that are, that are listening. But you, but you still have to do it. It's like it's like writing um, comedy to that extent. Mm. You, you can't write. You can't write with an audience in mind. 
you have to write what makes you laugh and amuses you yeah. and then put it out into the world because there's no other way of, of doing it. Your your podcast, the way you operate, has to be making something that sustains you, like you said, and that is for you, and then yeah. you kind of stick it online and, and share it with the world. And I think I next to never get in touch with somebody who runs a podcast that I like. And the fact that people have got in touch with me and said, bloody hell, I remember the tripods, what a brilliant episode that was. Or, oh, I love Red Dwarf, I've listened to all your episodes. And that just feels great, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm exactly the same. And I'm remiss, like, like you just said, in that it's rare I reach out. And there's only a mm. couple of times I've done it. I guess sometimes because you don't expect to get a response or you feel mm. like you're one voice. Because quite a lot of the time, the podcasts you listen to are hugely successful podcasts where you're one voice in thousands, perhaps. Absolutely. But it is to get that message and to get it from different walks of life was is is is, is really great. And like you said, mm. to, and we, we've had some lovely ones because we are not. Marvel versus Marvel, like you said, it, it, it can get up to three. I mean, the last episode was three hour twenty minutes. They're beefy little, uh, they're, they're movie length. Sometimes, sometimes they're longer than the movie we talk about. This is Godfather. Um, this isn't, um, you know, a ninety minute thing. So to have someone say, during the current situation, I lost my job, and I've had to get a crap in their in their mind not what they wanted to do you know just a general yeah. job and it's in its kind of rubbish hours and it's long late night shifts and they say and your podcast like two episodes gets me through mm. and you go ah oh, okay there's worth somewhere in that and it does sustain you get a little message little voice out the darkness saying oh i like that that was fun thanks couldn't agree more So, shall we move on and have a chat about Marvel Comics? Please, it's all I ever want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your first encounter with Marvel Comics? Well, the the, the story of my dad's 1960s um, collection is not the beginning. And, and no. it's kind of hazy around what the beginning is. And um, I, I have very strong memories of being a child and and having Spider-Man on a packet of crisps and on those candy cigarette packets you know you used to get from the from the sweet remember. shop remember when you remember when it was cool to be a smoker rather than a pariah <laughs> that was what those cigarettes were about weren't it what is fascinating the the, the premise of, of not to not to plug my show Plug your show as much as you like. That's exactly why I asked you on to have a conversation about Marvel Comics, because you have a podcast that is three hours a fortnight about Marvel Comics. Well, what we like to do is have myself as the Marvel expert and Will, who has only has never read a Marvel comic in his life. We call it sort of the muggle of the equation. Indeed. But he has encountered these characters through the movies, which mm. right now... The vast majority. If you're a if you look at people who are fans of Marvel characters, the mm. overwhelming majority are people that have come from seeing these incredible movies. Mm. So they, they, it's a different route in. And what I'm always interested in in the podcast is to find out how people have first encountered Marvel 
characters because especially in this country where you know if you're of a certain generation a certain age dear american superhero comics were not readily available yeah so that's a big part of it i definitely remember you know spider-man as a character on these things i definitely remember watching the um the cartoons there was a, a bunch of cartoons made in the 1960s very basic marvel cartoons that were knocking around when i was a kid spider-man and his amazing friends was on when i was a kid so i think that was probably the the first encounter but i was taught to read with comic books cool. with superhero comic books my my parents when i was struggling with words as a youngster you know two or three or whatever it was would tip x out the word balloons in a comic book and write in simple things like oh what's captain america saying dog <laughs> what's he saying there run and and that's how my parents taught me taught me to read and, and from that point on like that is the level of imprinting on someone's psyche and and their soul that you that a, that a, that a, a company cannot buy i mean i'm <laughs> it's just a part of my dna from that point on brilliant that's that's incredible i think i too was Encountering stuff like Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I think we're pretty much exactly the same age. Weirdo zennials, as it were. That wonderful <laughs> little micro-generation that was created just to suit us whiny bastards. Um, and I've been looking at that kind of thing. And it's fascinating that they recently changed when millennials ended. So um, some people who thought they were millennial are now Generation Z. So yes, generations are odd. But we are, frankly, we're the same age. And... Yes, I had that similar encounter. I do remember the cigarettes. But I have a very vivid memory of when I... I must have been about 10 or 11, moved from the Beano and Buster onto American superhero comics because they had this little rack of imported comics that no Americans had bought that were three months old in my local newsagent, imported by a company that I'm sure you'll be aware of, the lovely Comag who would collect up loads of shitty comics that nobody wanted to read and they would put a sticker on the back covering their barcode with a new barcode for the British market and they would make them just about affordable by a 10-year-old boy. (laughs) And um, so I was reading... In your podcast, you talk about the bad 90s. And how there were some questionable decisions <laughs> and some questionable superheroes in the 90s because mm. 90s. And 90s Marvel is not regarded as a golden age of comics. But it is my fucking age of comics because that's when <laughs> I first got them. And so I was reading and I remember vividly you mocked my favourite superhero on your show. I was reading the <laughs> Thor run where Eric Masterson was Thor. And I thought it was... Thunder Strike! Yes. (laughs) I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant that this guy, this actual human, got to be Thor. Because that resonated with a 10-year-old kid who wanted to be Thor. Or anything that was cooler than a 10-year-old kid. And I have reread it subsequently in my 30s. And it's... Fine, but as a kid, it was the best thing. 
yes, I, 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 I do tend to mock with a with a modern eye and a, a bit of a cynical eye when it comes to some of those things because that was a that was a story of um, how can we make Thor more like Spider Man or something like that, you know? Mm. So mm. it is inherently kind of not not sticking with your guns really, but I, I do feel a kinship there with you because. I, I I remember that my era of these of these characters is when they were all changing. You know, mm. it's black costume Spider Man. It's uh, Captain America quitting being Captain America, and some of these changes that are not always looked back on as being too 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 fondly remembered. But they were they were there, and the, the designs. I I do think Eric Masterson was interesting, and I I have a copy of. Th- Thunderstrike issue one, Thunderstrike being the Asgardian hero that he went on to be once Thor came and st- stopped, uh, took Thor back. Yes, but and I do think it's kind of a cool costume and all that, and I do think he was kind of poorly uh, disgu- disregarded by by the writers that came in after the fact. But in the nineties, I think the early stuff is kind of really is got some fantastic stuff going on there. Mm. Age of Apocalypse, the X Men Age of Apocalypse is a massive highlight, but that's the that's the decade they go bankrupt, and there's a reason for it. Yeah, well, I mean, I was fortunate enough that my introduction was through comics imported by Comag, so I, I vividly remember that I could always get Marvel Comics Presents. I could always get Thor. I could always get Silver Surfer. And so I did get those the, ones. The stuff, the stuff that's not selling. <laughs> Quite. And they were good enough that that got me. That got me. And then, again, probably just when I got to uh, senior school, or what do we call it? Do we call it senior school now? The, I, I, no, I don't know. It's, everything's they, an academy now, mate. They're year sevens, aren't they? They're not even first years. And, um,. <laughs> so when I was a first year, a comic book shop that wasn't bringing in Comag shit, but was actually importing American comic books, opened in Wolverhampton. Arrival Comics. And it changed my world. I worked out why I missed certain issues, because they had those wonderful 90s, every five issues you got a special cover that was foil or shiny or whatever and Comag never imported those so <laughs> I'd been missing issues because they'd been the anniversary issues with a special comic with a special covers and it changed my world I got to read Avengers but I wanted to read Avengers because Thunderstrike mm. was in it and at that point I got access to all these comic books and literally spent my money on nothing else literally nothing else I I have incredibly fond memories of a comic book shop opening up in my in my hometown when I was at big school, big school, <laughs> and and no longer having to wait for the kind of monthly trip to uh, to Hanley to visit an actual comic book shop and and this one was a because the comic book shop in Hanley was pretty earthy like my mom and my sister would not go inside it it, it smell it smelled of dudes. Um, was a lot of smelt of old, nerd. It was a lot of old rockers and goths as well because it sold a lot of uh, what would you call it? Uh, cannabis paraphernalia, right? And the 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 statues of the wizards holding uh, crystal orbs. Remember when they were brilliant? <laughs> These are our people, Rob. Absolutely, there's a lot of weirdos going to there. But <laughs> then you go upstairs and there was loads of comic. But then, yeah, 
like like your memory on a one glorious day an actual comic book shop opens and I could go there whenever I could and so every Saturday and then eventually pretty much every day after school I'm down there even if I'm not buying because I haven't got any money mm. and that's the impetus to start work yep it's the impetus to earn money to to feed the addiction brother I think I got my first you probably have heard of this, but it is an obscure reference. The Ad News, which was a free local paper in the Midlands. Oh. I got yeah. an Ad News round delivering free papers to finance my problem with Marvel <laughs> Comics and, to be fair, Doctor Who videos as well. I was buying Doctor Who videos at the same time. Pricey. Those are pricey habits. See, polymath, polymath, not a proper obsessive nerd. Polymath. This is what this is about. <laughs> but yeah, they, I, I genuinely think things like comic books or whatever you got into as a kid was the motivation for shitty paper rounds or whatever job you could get at fifteen. You know? Well, I don't know because I think I don't I don't know your dating history, but I think <laughs> some of our contemporaries who were a bit faster in in that in that field of meeting people and that they, they would perhaps think that that you know. Meeting people and dating and wanting to go out on a date was perhaps their motivation for for getting a job. Whereas me and you, it's <laughs> it's superheroes and time travel and <laughs> I feel seen. wrestling figures. Those because those wrestling magazines and trading cards and figures those are not cheap. No, no, they're not. But you know, I I don't think I'm a geek because I'm gay, but I think it fucking helped. <laughs> Well, listen, so I have theories about this. Good. <laughs> Strap in for a conspiracy session. Please. Uh, it, it, it's, all to do, it's all to do with uh, being, being uh, an outsider, which, of mm. course, in, uh, as, fingers crossed, as, as society progresses and advances, we will hopefully get to the stage where just sexuality will have nothing to do with you being an insider or an outsider, but mm. it's massively mm. a part of it. Um, I think, I think you know, uh, there's a reason Russell T. Davis felt such a strong connection to Doctor Who. Yeah. And I think those kind of outsider bubbles over, overlap. I think there's a reason why, as I was coming up in the, in the stand-up comedy world, I, I found so many of my contemporaries from similar generations of stand-up were all wrestling fans when in right. any other walk of life I could not find a single this is before the, the you know the renaissance yes yes you could not find a, 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 a fan anywhere and I think it has to do with comedians generally speaking have to be outsiders in mm. order to have a unique take or a different spin or the ability to observe things from an outside perspective and go wait Peanuts on an airplane, and then write you know material about it. <laughs> and outsiders in this country tend to mean not football, not rugby, not you know just get outside those popularity circles, which is where you tend to find your more geek pursuits. So I can I can definitely um, I can definitely see the the uh, the overlap there, like you say, of being a, of being an outsider to to mm. whatever degree. Yeah, and I think I think it's going to be a massive insight into who and what I am if I do pick this up and I recruit more geek specialists. It will be very much an outing 
of uh, all of the things I've been into over 40 <clears throat> years. And, <laughs> I, you know, and it, there'll be some things you might not expect. I would like to do an episode on Speedway. That was the sport I got into because I sure as hell didn't fucking like football. <laughs> really? Speedway? Love it. This makes me think you are now 15 years older than me. Thanks, mate. Because <laughs> like, cause my, my grandparents talk about Speedway being like a wonderful thing to take my dad to. Yeah, well, you have to... <laughs> modern Speedway, you have to be either Polish or a bit odd. To like Speedway, I think for, for the for the folks listening at home, when Mark says modern Speedway, he does mean something that is uh, at least two decades old. What do you mean? Are we talking about actual is Speedway still a thing? Speedway's huge. It's once a year. It comes to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Well, I, well, I'm going to shut my mouth then. Really, jeez, yeah. I thought it had you know died a death like Music Hall and. <laughs> No, no, the Speedway Grand Prix. Yeah, Travelling yeah. ukulele players. It's on Sky. Wow. It's, it is funded by Poland. The fandom of Speedway is phenomenally Polish. Like, you go to Cardiff to see the Speedway Grand Prix. It's like you're in Poland. The, 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 the red and white wow. scarves. The, the, the vast majority of the fans will have come over from Poland to watch their Speedway stars. And Speedway makes a fuck ton more money than football does in Poland. But wow. it is rather niche in our country, yes. <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about Speedway. Um, I, 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 this is what I call a tangent tornado with my co-host Fraser on Right in the Childhood. We, we, we like to talk and we get distracted by shiny things and I try not to, but we did, didn't we? Right, next question is, what is it about Marvel Comics that particularly appeals to you over everything else? Why are you still a fan of Marvel Comics? <sighs> well, I mean, I I think it would be it would be kind of hard to put it in the general context of why am I a fan of it instead of I don't know football or literature or mm. or <laughs> but in in terms of comic books and and please don't think that I you know was aware of of all these thoughts growing up. No, I think something grabbed me and it's it's through the process of the last few years i've really have been going back and looking you know what happened is my dad nearly sold those comic books from the 60s right and there was a bit of a uh, not a brouhaha but a bit of a hey i assumed i would get them when something terrible happened and he passed away you know and and kind of through that i i, I spent a couple of years really looking back at, at marvel um of the 60s and that led to the podcast and it, it led to me to try and contextualize why these spoke to me and spoke to so many people and why they have resonated throughout generations why these characters from the 60s are now the have changed hollywood forever and have connected with tens of millions of people across the world and become a billion dollar kind of industry as a kid i would never have thought that this niche weird american import thing that was mine and no other kids were into it would become what we have seen and 
it just it just fills my heart with joy. Absolutely, we, we talk a lot on on, on Marvel versus Marvel about the moments when I saw a Marvel character in the wild and how I went <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> like they'd get one of the arcade games, the Punisher or one of the Avengers arcade games was at the Leisure Center. And I would, like, none of my friends read superhero comics. Mm. So I'd be like, I could, so I would, I, I experienced them on my own in, in an insular world that none of my friends were part of. And so then you saw it, and again, there were no comic book shops knocking around. That would take years to get going. And they, you know, you might get a cartoon on, on the telly. You might get a rerun of Bill Bixby's Hulk is that the seventies one with Lou Ferrigno? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, I, they were great when I was a kid. I rewatched them in my twenties. They were not great. I don't know. I I think they have exactly the same kind of quality as uh, Quincy or Columbo of the age. You know, Fair. I think they 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 obviously can't be viewed with a modern eye, but I don't think they're that far off those are the kind of slightly odd melodramas only in, in this one in this one Fair. you know imagine if quincy imagine if in every episode of quincy quincy turned into a giant green monster and smashed the fuck out of things arguably quincy would still be on the air <laughs> oh no fucking quincy i think what is so incredible about marvel comics is that Okay, so superheroes were, before Marvel came along, they were these pre-war 1930s, I am the hero, I fight for justice and for honour, and they have square jaws, and they are perfect, and they have perfect morals and perfect ideals, and they occasionally have a small child with them that they can patronise. And who uh, gets kidnapped a lot? And it, I mean, by and large, I mean I'm speaking this genuinely because Golden Age Superman has some wonderful social action in it. But by and large, that's what it is. And they are tremendously popular during the Second World War because there's mm. there's there's this incredible thing for them to fight this this real antagonist called the Nazis. Yeah, and then they they die a death and they stop being popular. And superheroes kind of peter out, really, aside from Superman, Batman. And when Stanley comes along, when Stanley created the characters that would kick off the Marvel Universe, he was about to quit comics altogether because mm. he was sick of doing westerns and he was sick of doing monster comic books and he was kind of sick of doing romance comics, which Stanley's very, very good at. And from this world where we just had these pre-war you know rah, kind of guys stan creates with with don heck and with with dick Coe and, and and with with jack kirby he creates this world which is unlike anything else that has ever been captured in comic books which is yeah. only really akin in my mind to shakespeare you're pushing it rob I am absolutely not. These are fantastic stories of adventure uh, from from these these fallible characters with feet of clay, racked with with all the kind of emotional angst that we experience 
and go through uh, on such an incredible level. Um, the Fantastic Four bicker and argue that had never been done before in comic books. Mm. When Captain America takes over the Avengers, they are all out for themselves. They bicker constantly. They are self-serving individuals. Spider-Man is just this in- this incredible... One of the earliest works during the emergence of counterculture, during the emergence of the of, of teenagers as a thing, to mm. to have such incredible agency um, to to make a teenager the star. It, it's a world, as I said, feet of clay, and it, it's packed. These these Marvel comics of the sixties and the seventies are packed with 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 such emotion. Mm. It, it belies belief, and it it, it took DC a, a good long while, DC Comics a good long while, to really even attempt to catch up, to, to try and portray this, I don't want to say melodramatic, but this kind of kitchen sink view of, 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 yeah. of human drama. And You put this so much better than I would have put it. When someone says, why do you like wrestling? I say... Well, it's a soap opera with acrobatics, isn't it? I would have said... Which is perfectly valid, perfectly valid. Yes, it is. But what I would have said about Marvel Comics in answer to this question would have been, well, it's a soap opera with cool good guys beating up the bad guys. And you've said it with so much more eloquence and gravitas than I would have ever said it. But I think I'm coming at it from a very similar kind of vibe to you on this. Well... Look, some of it is a grown adult trying to justify his entire life. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, I think what I said to, to start it all off is always important to remember that these are thoughts I've had analysing Marvel comics. These are thoughts I've had trying to contextualise. These are not the gut reactions you have. The gut reactions you have are, that's exciting or that's fun, or that's funny, or it's cool, or that made me sad. Gwen Stacy died, that made me sad. Yeah. Norman Osborn doesn't love his son, that makes me sad. Harry Osborn is abusing drugs, that makes me worried. You know, things connect with you on an emotional level, and and, and then I think if you want to spend your adult life analysing them, and contextualising them, and and, and raking through them, then... But I think it's very worthwhile... I think these are modern mythologies that, that, that have been birthed yeah. to the world. And I think there is a lot of worth in taking a look at them. But always to remember that the most important part of them is that they're fun. It's yeah. it's it's They look cool and they're fun and their stories are exciting and funny yeah. sometimes and and all of that stuff. That, that I, I never really recommend for anyone to go back as an adult who's never read comics... Or is only read modern comics. People always say, "I get this a lot." Where should I start with Spider-Man issue one? Oh, Jesus, no! <laughs> Listen, mate. When he first fights the Sandman, he hoovers him up with a Hoover. <laughs> it's just some of these stories are very of their time. Yeah. And modern storytelling, like with, I mean, r- wrestling survives better be- because I think that kind of physical performance and storytelling, like. Like musical, like comedy, like like circus of any any kind of kind, survives and conveys a human story a bit better than yeah. than perhaps TV or, or or film. But but that being uh, that being said, I saw the Maltese Falcon the other day. 
one of my favourite films of all time. I haven't seen it in ten years. It's it's older than than Spider Man, and it's incredible. Um, mm. But sometimes you just you you have to you have to accept that that it's not it's not for perhaps modern sensibilities. You just kind of have to be a bit loose with with your viewing or your reading. Mm. So this one, I actually think, is probably the most difficult question that I'm going to ask you. Who is your favourite character in the Marvel Universe? That's actually very easy. I'll go on then. And I'll I'll dance around it first. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know how everyone else reads comic books. But I'm not the kind of person that will buy Spider-Man every month because I like the character Spider-Man. Right. I really i follow i follow writers so if i like that writer and they're writing i don't know whatever book it might be ghost rider or the fantastic four i'm gonna buy that because i love how that writer writes right and there's no character i find so off-putting that a great writer that i enjoy couldn't make it really enjoyable so Mm. i i generally tend to have more favorite what i call runs so yeah one writer on one story Dan Abner and Andy Lanning, who who were a writing team, they created the modern Guardians of the Galaxy that are in the movies. Their their writing on that Guardians of the Galaxy series is incredible, and that's one of my all-time favourite story runs. And and I love all the characters. They had Star-Lord during that run, one of my favourite characters. But then other writers come on board, and some of the aspects of Star-Lord that you love get changed and diminished and it's not quite you don't have quite mm. the same connection or attachment to the character uh, Garth Ennis has like a 65 issue run on Punisher which is one of my favourite stories of all time but outside of Garth Ennis's hands the Punisher I wouldn't say is my favourite character okay. there's it, it, it an ebb and flow with, with these and the way that there isn't with cinema and there kind of isn't with, with TV shows I, I struggle to think maybe, maybe James Bond maybe Maybe if someone said, "Oh, I loved Roger Moore, but everything else was not for me," I don't, I don't quite know if that's Makes a sense. similar comparison. Maybe a Doctor as well in Doctor Who. Yeah, I, I, yes, but I think, I think you would struggle because of its very James Bond is something that a man off the street can watch and enjoy, uh, unless it's too, unless it's got an invisible car in it, <laughs> because it's a, you know, it's an action film and it's fighting True. and it's shagging and it's shooting. I think by the very nature of Doctor Who, you only tend not that that's disingenuous, but you you generally kind of wean out the man on the street, and you kind of get fans. I I would think I, I can't think True. I've never met someone who only likes one Doctor and then goes none of the rest, Pertwee or go home. <laughs> I've never met True. that before, True. but but maybe they're out there. So Daredevil is is number two. Um, in terms of my all-time favourite Marvel characters. I absolutely adore him. The, um, Frank Miller, his writing on Daredevil in the 80s is incredible. Brian Michael Bendis, another, a great writer who wrote him more recently. Mm. Um, it's one of, That's one of the greatest story runs of all time in my mind. And, and it's benefited from the Netflix series being such an incredible yeah. translation of, of page to screen. That, that I think... I don't know that 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 kind of um, reinvigorated my my love of that character. It just felt so right. The 
The yeah. whole depiction of Daredevil as he is, yeah, okay, he's got the whole kind of radar shit going on, but he is a martial artist going out and being a vigilante. And I always felt like Daredevil was in more peril than Batman, bizarrely. And maybe it's the blind thing. And I really felt like, yeah, he's a badass, but he is constantly at risk. And he does it anyway. That element of the portrayal of that telly show was out of this world. It's been a long time since Batman has been portrayed as anything other than a virtual, like, god in human yeah. form. Like, he, he's just so... And it's true in the comic books as well. Matt Murdock is a hot mess. And the yeah. great writers understand Matt Murdock is a hot mess and the only important thing in Matt Murdock's stories is tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. Frank Miller knew that in the 80s. Brian Malcolm Bendis and, and, and Greg uh, Brubaker and Greg Rooker knew it as well. And they know that you just have to make Matt's life a living hell, and it is addictive. Yep. And the people, whoever, yep. I, I, and I don't have the names to, to hand, but the people that were in charge of that Netflix series, they knew that, and this is the difficult thing to curate when you're making these Marvel movies. These characters have been around since the 60s. What is the heart of the character? Is it who they were mm. in those first years? Is it who they were in the 90s? Is it who they, you know, how do you find the heart's of a character. When Batman was first around, he was he, he was killing people and he was shooting a gun. Does that mean Batman should always shoot people and and, yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and kill people and have a gun? Of course not. We we've 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 come to see that character evolve and grow and mature into the the distillation of him has come later on. And and that's true of the Doctor and that's true of a lot of these long running characters. And so true. they did such a great job of curating on that Netflix series what is the heart of Matt Murdock? And they nail it. But Daredevil is number two. My heart will always belong to Spider-Man. There is something... We talked about being outs- outsiders. I mean, I sat down as a kid that you know, wasn't very bright, wasn't at the time very funny, wasn't athletic, had some friends but not lots of friends, didn't have... I, I was made fun of because I had the wrong haircut and I had the wrong trainers and I didn't, you know, you didn't have all the right stuff. And unless you, you mm, know, I'm mm. not saying I was, you know, an impoverished family, but we were, you know, we were just um, doing whatever we could when my dad's out of work, my mum's out of work, stuff like that. And here was a, a, a broke kid. <laughs> you know, so much of Spider Man in those early decades is about being working class. Um, not, I'm not necessarily saying I am working class because I, I don't think I straddle that line but so much of it is about being an outsider about not fitting in and about not being popular about struggling with girls about your aunt is sick and you need to make some money to afford her prescription and, mm. and then there's the angst the angst of heartbreak the palpable angst of heartbreak in Spider-Man is incredible and the guilt and it, it it's it is Shakespearean. Um, it is it is tragedy writ small. The the minutia of everyday guilt and tragedy. And he puts on a bright costume and he and he and he punches guys and he has a joke with it and he can be funny yeah. and kind of depressed at the same time. And goddamn, if that doesn't sum up my life, I don't know what else what else does and ever will. And 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 and, and thankfully mm. for me, some great writers 
have penned some incredible storylines with that character over the years, which has just, yeah, really, really written it onto my heart again and again. And there's something... There's something magical about that about that character. Something really special about that character. And so, yeah, it'll always be it'll always be Spidey for me. I think you very much hit the nail on the head with Spider Man, and he is a favourite of mine. But I, I would say, in answer to this, there's my heart and my head. There's the character yeah. that I have the greatest love for, and it's completely irrational because it's based on childhood memories. And I'm sure if I reread it, sure. it would probably taint that. And the other one is the, I have a degree in English and this is the story and the character that I think is the best yeah. when it comes to achievement in a literary sense. And so the heart says Thunderstrike and uh, the head says Daredevil. Yeah, and I, I, I do, I do, I, I, I do get what you mean. There, there is nothing quite like. There, there is such a strong pull of nostalgia, mm. because at our hearts, we all want to feel comfortable <laughs> with whatever we are doing or enjoying, and and there, so there is that that great big pull, and I do understand that, and I have a fondness for characters as well that I don't think were. <laughs> You know, generally with villains with me, I love a, I love the the classic D list villains, Stiltman, the Shocker, Stiltman. the Chameleon. I love all these guys. They're 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 fantastic. Well, they're not. They're terrible. But I, mm. I kind of they're like jobbers, <laughs> and I have a fondness for jobbers as well. Well, I could agree with that as well. So this is one that I struggled with. But what is the most obscure fact that you know about Marvel Comics? It's it's not strictly speaking about Marvel Comics. It's about it. it it's a so in the movie Blade, Blade has this this partner, this assistant, this mentor called Whistler, and the 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 Blade movie was written uh, at a certain period of time, and 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 that was the first appearance. Whistler is not based on a Marvel comic book character. He was created originally for the Blade movie. But due to delays in that script getting made and turned into a film, Whistler, who was created for the movie, appears first in the Spider-Man 90s animated cartoon series. (laughs) Despite the fact that it's because of the people involved in the making of the movie... And involved in the making of the TV series, that this script got passed around, and the people making the Spider-Man cartoon series said, "Oh, we're doing a Blade episode, and he could do with a partner." Oh, <laughs> they used this character that did not yet exist, copied it from a script that hadn't been filmed yet, put it into the animated cartoon series, and beat the movie into production and airing. So when the movie comes out, the original character created originally for the movie now looks like he's been copied from a kid's cartoon series in this 18-certificate Wesley Snipes kung fu blood vampire movie. It's a bit weird. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'd struggled with this, and I think in a lot of ways, because I'm not a massive, avid fan, that any obscure fact I had 
wouldn't be particularly obscure, or I'd have nicked it from your podcast. So I'm going to go with one that I've <laughs> nicked from your podcast. Great, good, okay, yeah, recycle it. It was on your podcast. You told the story about Daredevil's origin and how the people who wrote Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles took the piss out of his origin in the initial idea to create yes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it was the thing where the the penny dropped when the main bad guys in Daredevil comics are the hand and the main bad guys in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are the foot. I listened to you <laughs> drop that fact on your podcast and I was like, that's got to be bullshit. Oh, wait, that makes sense. And look what happened to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know? Oh, it's it's in, it's incredible. Eastman and, and, and Laird, they really are... They're, they're two kind of like... I don't know if they were stoners, but i I, I got to place heavy favourites on the people that invented the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles being stoners. <laughs> but they they really were kind of good, really good-natured, fun-loving kind of dudes. And to, to, to a large section of, of uh, readers... Frank Miller's very serious, po-faced take on Daredevil was something out of the left field like you wouldn't believe. It was taking Mm. Daredevil, the guy that wears red pyjamas, and doing a neo-noir crime story involving the Yakuza. And it was just, to so many people, it was utterly ridiculous. So yeah, Ninja Turtles is originally... A, a a a couple of issues just spoofing and just like mwah, mwah, taking the absolute piss out of Frank Miller's ninja obsession and uh, Daredevil comics. Bonkers fact. So, where would you <laughs> say would be a good place to start for a beginner coming to Marvel comics? Well, I I get asked this a lot. With Marvel, it's a bit easier because there's so many movies that, int- that have introduced people. So. Mm. I would say your, your your best bet is to, from the movies you've seen or the TV shows you've seen, find a character that you enjoy the most out of them, and, and that's the route to go in. And I would say never start, never think you have to start at the beginning. No, it's impossible for I I, I can't. I can't say this is the, the best place to start because everyone's different. People like Ant-Man might not find Captain America enjoyable. People that love Captain America might not be interested in Thor and the Asgardian stuff. Mm. You know, I can't I can't recommend a starting point for all of those. But I mean, hey, if you want to email me. That that was this is a, this is a email me marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. And tell me who your favourite characters are, and I promise you I will email you back and I'll tell you a good place to start. But the piece of advice I would give, because I can't give everyone a jumping on point, is to say that if you're not a comic book reader, you have to get it out of your head that you need to start at the beginning, or you need to know everything to start yeah. reading a story. Yeah, You have to view comic books like... A, a soap opera mm. or, or maybe even a sitcom you, you you need to just hit the ground running you need to trust that the skilled people telling a story will convey what you need to know that the stuff you don't need to know which won't be ev- you won't know everything you won't get every reference you might not quite know exactly where things are but 
you're a smart person, you will pick it up. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not suggesting you start on, you know, part three of a six-parter, but there is always lots of... Once that six-parter is over, they'll start a new kind of yeah. story line, and you can jump on then. So that that is the, the biggest thing, because I, I always get that. People get intimidated. They see... It's issue number 6,031 or whatever, and they go, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. And you just have to get past that. And, and, and these characters are also getting reinterpreted, retooled, re- almost rebooted every couple of years with yeah. new takes. And I think Marvel have very much engaged with what you're saying, that the numbers do intimidate. And when they bring on new writers, the fashion is to have a legacy number and a new number one. So uh, the the recent run of Daredevil, I, I'm terrible with writers, but the recent run of Daredevil started on one, and it was sublime. I want to say Chip Zdarsky, but it might not be. It is. I, I can tell you that I, I have written to Chip Zdarsky because I, I just was blown away. I mean, it is that his run on, on, on Daredevil, I think, will go up there with the yeah. greats. But that started on one. His first issue started on one with a little small legacy number underneath. And I think that's a really yeah. good way of the that the Marvel comics have come up with to do that. And I think that's helping people to find a start point. My thought was, and I'd, I'd be interested in your opinion on this, is the idea of maybe thinking about a limited series or a specific run. But I thought maybe give people a copy of the graphic novel collected comics of the series of Marvels. I thought that might be a nice way to start. I knew you were, I knew you were going to say that. Um, I, I would have to say no to that. Not that you shouldn't read it. I, I just think that the, the USP of Marvels is that you are seeing these, these historic... And landmark events from Marvel's golden age, and they are being slightly deconstructed and slightly reinterpreted. And I think the what what is lost if that's your first time seeing these events, I think it might be a little bit lost on on you. But maybe. And I also don't think you don't get to spend any time with any character other than the photographer. Yeah. So I don't. I, you get kind of little snippets and. Yeah, you know it's it's a really good it's a really good um, it's a really it's a really great series. The artwork is gorgeous, isn't it? But I I I would I would rather I would think someone should get thrown in with with um, the cut and pace of 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 a character and a supporting cast and bad guys attacking and 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 all of that. Yeah, I think you make a good point. Although the podcast of Marvels was excellent, if you did listen to that. I haven't. No, I'm. I am w- w- woeful in my. I don't listen to any comic book podcasts at all, and now I'm kind of nervous too because uh, I worried I would steal ideas from them. Well, the the Marvels podcast and the Wolverine podcast both were brilliant. They are. It's not really a podcast. It's an audio drama. Richard Armitage plays Wolverine for goodness sake, and they're great. Oh, okay, okay. They're well worth a listen. They're on. They're on Spotify oh. for free. I think that would very much be up my up my wheelhouse. I, I, as it were, I r- really have very fond memories of uh, Radio One uh, serialising back in the day, Batman Nightfall, when I was a kid. And cool. I think there was another 
comic book series. I think they did a Superman serialization as well, and I love those kind of radio radio plays. And I've listened to some fantastic uh, podcast dramas in the last couple of years, which are they're really great medium when they're done very well. Yes, but you know th- these ones have got money because they're funded by Marvel using their characters. You know. Oh well, that's a wonderful thing you've shared with me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that now. That's something that I can that I can really throw myself into. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'll ch- it, it, it literally just search for them on Spotify. Dead easy. So we'll move on to the final question in the geek chat section of this podcast, and that is: Is there anything you're unhappy with regarding Marvel Comics? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I, I think they're taking uh, good steps in the right direction to create a, um, a a cast of characters that better reflects the world that reads them, and I think that is necessary. Mm. I think it's you know it's it's never good to limit yourself to reading entirely about white straight men. You know that's not yeah. a club anyone wants to join. So th- they were a product of their time in terms of the, the the characters being created and written, and and you have to dig and fight in in through many decades to find something that stands out as being, you know, for all our talk of realism, I mean they're not exactly reflective of the real world in, in that respect, and they're taking decent mm. steps now to kind of do better and be better, and I think, uh, well, we both know from from the wrestling world that. You know, <laughs> corruption and horrible crap is everywhere. True. One thing that stands out to me, especially when you with companies, is is our latest episode is all about the Punisher. The Punisher was created by a nineteen-year-old kid called Jerry Conway, one of the creators. Sorry, and you know that that sounds wow, nineteen, huh? And at the time, there's a lot of youngsters coming up in Marvel Comics and in DC as well. You know, people in their early 20s. A lot of people under the age of, of 30. And you think, this seems like a, a fantastic youth movement in Marvel Comics. And they're, they're actually, you know, listening to these bright young things who have got loads of wonderful ideas. And unfortunately, the reality is that the established creators, the writers, artists, inkers, letterers, the, the people that have been doing the job for a while, uh, doing what everyone should do in that, in that situation, which is asking to be treated better as workers. They're asking for better pay. They're asking for benefits that they are, should be entitled to, health, insurance, and pensions and things. And Marvel, just like DC and, and everyone else in the field, realises the best thing to do is to get rid of all these old people Middle-aged people, normal-aged people, yeah, yeah, and and give the work to a bunch of a bunch of kids who would just be very happy to have the work, and that's the problem writ large with these these companies. The, the, the creators of Superman, uh, Siegel and Shuster, died in virtual poverty, whilst the character they created has made billions for the, for the company that owns them, and and right. that is the, the the case all over. A lot of it is to do with. America's uh, strange approach to workers' rights and things. But, uh, you know, these companies take advantage of that an awful lot of the time. We see a hell of a lot of it when these characters become movies that that are generating hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office and in merchandise sales. And that's not 
reflected uh, it, it, the, the talented people that created the characters yeah. uh, who don't own the characters and and you know all of all of those things are distasteful and can give an ugly flavor to your favorite characters stan lee has had to fight decade on decade for monies royalties things that he believes he's entitled to and mm. even with stan lee marvel fought in the court to deny him that kind of those kind of rights and royalties and 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 and, and monies so you know no one is sacred and the company is a is a company and as we should know by now all companies are disgusting yeah and um i'm afraid that my answer was a lot more simplistic than yours it was that the culture of comic books that essentially comic books are now knocking towards lost leaders for the collected comics version that people buy in trades and I don't like the fact that people's creativity is ruled basically by Amazon. But I think you've come up with something that I think I dislike more, actually. Oh, no. I, I and, and you know what? I, I might even go on your side because, I, I mean, we, we have a, an outreach program on Marvel versus Marvel. We want to work with bricks and mortar comic book shops to support and advertise to them because we, as you said... Amazon is is going to kill uh, the comic book industry, but there was a, there were a lot of people saying that you know bookshops uh, were, were going to start to kill the comic book industry and things you know the the, the mm. death of the single monthly issue has been knocking on for a long long time now. Digital comic books might be the death of the single issue. It, it's um, a difficult world all all round in that anytime art is done for the purposes of entertainment we we have all these situations around workers rights and, and yeah. around royalties and around uh, what is driving the decisions is it the bottom line or is it the artistic pursuit and that's tricky yeah spurned by something you just said i'm going to add another question as a 40 <clears throat> person yourself what's your opinion of e-comics How, do you get on with them no <laughs> no, no, no. Can't, I can't do it. And I, that's not to say they're inherently bad or wrong or anything like that. I can't. I don't have a Kindle, mate. I can't read books on on a screen. And yet, I can sit and read Wikipedia yeah. on a screen for hours. But I, it's to do with why I had a large spell in my twenties buying and collecting cheap vinyl. There, there, there is a, a tactile nature to to how you sometimes enjoy things and i think books are a part of that comic books the smell yeah. all of that is is a part of it for me I, I love and miss going to the comic book shop yeah i that my my comic book shop in my hometown which i've been going to for 15 18 years you know i can't i'm not going to go anywhere else but it is less of a comic book shop and more of a toy and uh, Warhammer gaming shop, right? And that bugs me because I I remember when I was a kid, what I want to do, and I do this when I go to Manchester and Birmingham. Sometimes I want to go to the long boxes and I want to flick through and I want to hunt and find back issues and I want to yeah. see the big wall full of comics. And but you know, my comic book shop, it's you know, it's it's one wonderful guy and a very small 
little little tiny room. So yeah. you can't do those wonderful... I don't get the same shopping experience that I used to get as a child. But that's what I want. I want to go to a wonderful store. I want to pick things off a shelf. I want to flick through the back issues. I want mm. that shopping experience. And I then want reading experience of sitting down with a bag full of, of issues and blah, blah, blah. I, you can't get, I can't get any of that enjoyment from clicking a button and getting it on a on a whatever. For me, comic books are the last electronic medium that I am resisting. I love books yeah. as well as comic books. I read so many books, but maybe it was when I was working in a library, I was basically a convert to reading books on Kindle for the simple reason I'm a weirdo who doesn't read one book at a time. I'll have six or eight on the go. Right. And if you're reading six or eight books, you have yeah. to pick which one to take with you. Whereas if you've got your Kindle, you don't. And I'm not a fan of reading on a tablet. It has to be the paperwhite style Kindle. Yeah. And I've also converted a huge amount of my reading to audiobooks. I drive a lot for work, so I'll listen to a book as well as many, many podcasts. But I really, really like audiobooks. I don't like comics on kindle i can just about get on with marvel unlimited because their interface is very good and i was pleasantly surprised by how good it is so i can read electronic comics which i never thought i would be able to but i still don't want to i want a comic book why have you got can you can you put your finger on why I mean, if if you're like me, like with me, it is it is to do. Uh, I I I have the aversion to the books on screen as well. Hmm. Um, I wonder why for you you've been able to make that leap with books, but you can't do it for something which almost arguably is better suited. You know, with the with the with the panels and the pictures. I disagree that it's better suited. The whole point of a book and or an audio book is that your imagination fills in the images. The whole point of a comic book is that you have those images. And I just find the screen, compared to a book where you can better follow how it was supposed to flow rather than panel by panel, etc. There's just a clunkiness that even the best software cannot solve when it comes to a online comic. I think for me, it's something to do with... um... There is a disconnect in how you read because there's there's almost an, an urge or a tendency to zoom in so you can view one panel better, mm. right? Or half a page better. Yeah. And that creates a massive disconnect with me. In, That's in why I of, don't like it. Yeah. Maybe it's that. That might, that might be that might be my part of my bigger version to it as well. Then, but I'm short sighted, and a PDF is no good for me. I have to go right up to the screen to read a PDF. So either solution, when it comes uh... to an electronic comic, doesn't work for me. You lose the element of seeing how it was originally structured when you're doing panel by panel on Marvel Unlimited. But if you've got a PDF, it's an unpleasant experience, and I feel like a blind old man. So I don't think I'm ever going <laughs> to convert to electronic comics. Whereas an ebook, you can control the size of the font and you don't feel like a blade old man. You just turn in the page every four or five words. <laughs> yeah. One really vital point that I'd like to raise before we move on, uh, Mark, if you don't mind, um, is that sure. I'm not 40, you cheeky beggar. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. 
I've got another three years to get there. So I I, I let it... I I mean, it's just been... (laughs) It's been bubbling... I'd let it go to begin with, but it's bubbled away in me in the last few minutes, and I feel... You're very early millennial then, rather than late Gen X. I do (laughs) apologise. You're bubbling around 40, and I'm still bubbling around 40. So, as far as I'm concerned, we're the same age. (laughs) Same age. Nick, you're younger. I'm I'm happy to admit you're younger. You are are a sprightly young man, and I'm a grumpy old sod. Good. That's all I just... just, as long as that's what people go away from this podcast remembering, that's all that's important Good. to me. Good. Life, apparently life begins at 40. Um, I, I quite liked my 30s. Quite liked some of my 20s. My 40s are all right. So it doesn't really feel much different to my 30s, other than a bit more grey in my beard. I think past a certain stage is just a flat line until you die. Yeah. <laughs> that's just flat me. line? Wow. <laughs> Bleak. Yeah, just a flat line of nothing really, you know, things get worse, obviously, but, uh, you know, you don't feel any different. (laughs) So, we are moving on to the section of the show called Quiz Time, and what we try and do is we try and balance our quiz... So I ask my guest three pre-planned quiz questions that I think are insanely hard because he is the expert. And then we flip it the other way round and my guest asks me three pre-planned quiz questions that they think are medium level difficulty to make it an even playing field between the casual fan and the avid fan. And then we see at the end who is, in inverted commas, best. But it's clearly the guest because... They have more knowledge. Anyway, so, Rob, are you ready for your three (laughs) fiendish quiz questions? Let's do it. Question number one. The original Thunderstrike was Eric Masterson, but he's been dead since 1997. More recently, his son took over the mantle after Captain America gave him the Thunderstrike mace. What is the name of Eric Masterson's son? You know, if you if you'd done if you'd if it had been a question about some of the earlier days, there are anything very modern is going to be a big gap. In, is going to be a big gap in my knowledge. This this I do certainly remember that he always had his son with him because that was a big part of Thunderstrike's storyline. Is that he was a divorced dad? Yeah, yeah. And he did have his uh, his kid with him, Eric Masterson's son. I'm gonna go. I'm going to pick a name that feels that feels right, and I don't know why. I'm going to say Kevin. Little Kevin Masterson. Kevin is correct. Kevin Masterson is the modern Thunderstrike. Get on it. Yeah. I, I really thought that one was a bit obscure. Okay, question number two. <laughs> Virginia, the Vision's wife, killed a supervillain and hid his body in this really brilliant recent Vision storyline that I really, really loved. Which villain did she kill? Oi. You're going modern on me now. You're going modern on me. I am. It's about five years old now, I think. Yeah, it's one of the few uh, stories, modern things that I, I have read. Oh. And it's a great story, and I can I can remember the moment 
when the vision is getting interrogated. And I can remember the beginning of the story. I can remember the end of the story. What villain does she kill? No, it's a it's a top. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach. Um, I'm based on their history alone. I'm gonna say Grim Reaper, but it's a total reach. It is the Grim Reaper. Very good. <laughs> You're kidding me. Yeah, it's Grim Reaper. Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible I do remember it, but. Of course, the Grim Reaper is deeply connected to the Vision for the very mm. obvious reason that he is the brother of Wonder Man. And, of course, yep. once Wonder Man died, his brain patterns were used to create the Vision. So that was my reach. There we go. That's how, If it was eggheads, that would be my, my reasoning. Good grief. So the, the third one, I think, is the toughest because it's really fucking obscure and it's 90s. So... Hawkeye and Mockingbird set up the Great Lakes Avengers. And there were five founding members. Can you name all five founding members of the Great Lakes Avengers? So, I'm going to try and assume that they're the same as the joke team that went forward. Yes. Um, So there there was... Mr. Immortal or Immortal Man. Yep. There was uh, uh, Flat Man. Yep. Um, There's the the big lass, Big Bertha. That's right, Big Bertha. Yeah, Big Bertha. Oh, okay, okay, okay. How many is that? Three? You've got three of the five. Oh, man. One is like a dinosaur type. Is it dinosaur or like a reptile? That was her name, dinosaur. Well done. uh, Looking woman. So her name is what? Dinosaur? Yes. (laughs) So there's one more. There's one more. There's one more. There's one more. Oh, it's a completely black... It's a completely black silhouette thing. Like, is it doorway or doorman or... It was doorman. Fuck me. Get on it, sunshine! <laughs> Congratulations, Rob. Three. I honestly, every one of them was a reach. Every one of them was a reach. Ah, oh, the Great Lake Avengers. There was a good. That's a good question. Um, whew, I got a little. My heart rate went up then, man. <laughs> Hit me with your three and see if I can get your medium level questions. Medium level, okay. Please name the the first team of Avengers. Five members, the original founding members of the Avengers. Please name them. Ant-Man, the Wasp, Hulk, Thor, and not Captain America, somebody else, Iron Man. Correct. Excellent stuff. Good work. Well done. There was a nice little tricky element with Captain America in it because everyone thinks he was in it or it's it's a common misconception yeah although retroactively they make him a founding member which was a massive two fingers up to the whole um yeah uh okay well this this feels like it's going to be similar but can you name the five original X-Men I think I can uh Cyclops Pre-blue-faced beast. He was kind of like just a bloke with big hands and feet. Uh, Iceman. 
Uh, I, Angel and Jean Grey. Correct. Very good. Yeah. Okay, that's 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 top it. Normally, people they think Storm is there or Wolverine is there. Good stuff. Okay. Now, well, this might. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Can you name the first comic book superhero? Stanley written superhero comic book of the Marvel Age. The comic book that starts it all. Creates the Marvel Universe as it were. Do you mean the character or do you mean the name of the comic book itself? Because they had a lot of books that were like amazing fantasy or journey into mystery. I'm going to ask you for the name of the comic book. It's a guess because I know it's where... Spider-Man first started, I'm going to say Amazing Fantasy. It's a good guess, but no, uh, that would first superhero wouldn't appear in Amazing Fantasy until Spider-Man, which is after things like The Incredible Hulk. The first is the Fantastic Four. That is the beginning of the superheroes and the Marvel right. age of comics. It was a good guess, though. So... Well done. Three out of three. I don't think I embarrassed myself by getting two out of three either. Not at all. Because yours actually had more components. You know, you, you had five. You had to get five answers for one point in, in, in both of those. So, mm. yeah. Top work. Do we feel that the questions were fair? Were mine fiendish enough? Too fiendish even for a big fan? Uh, Kevin Masterson was a complete and utter guess, and uh, that was that was not that was not expert. That was just guesswork. Hmm. They they were pretty fiendish. Yeah, Great Lakes Adventures, man. That is that is a deep deep. Because like, when you first said, I thought you were going to talk about the the West Coast Avengers, and I was like, oh okay, that that seems kind of obscure, but I would get that. The Great Lakes. It was going to be Great Lakes Avengers or Force Works. Oh, I would have walked Forceworks. There's a cartoon of them. Would you have really remembered the name of the alien? Century. Oh, well, there you go. So it was those two. It was one of those two that I was going to go with. <laughs> and I do feel like your questions were fair. They were, you need to be a fan and a, a real fan. No, let's not gatekeep. Someone who has a good working knowledge yeah. of the the Marvel Comics universe would probably know the original X-Men and the um, the original Avengers and the, the fact that Fantastic Four were the first thing to kick off what we now know as the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I think they were pretty fair. They were medium hard. I think they were pretty fair. Cool. Just how I like me eggs. <laughs> So, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the pilot episode of Geek Polymath. As experiments go, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's gone all right. How do you feel? I've had a lovely time. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. So where can people find you and your work on that there internet? I think if you've enjoyed this and, and like like to hear old men talk about Marvel Comics, um, <laughs> then... then... The, the podcast of mine uh, is is a great way to do that. It's a great like introduction. If you enjoy the, the character, if you we we have listeners who are diehard Marvel fans and enjoy it, and we also have people who like the movies 
and have maybe tinkered around with a comic or two or never read a comic, and they really enjoy it as well. Because that's a great way to, to hear all these wild and wacky stories, learn some of the history and the trivia. Uh, what you called Marvel versus Marvel, and that's the full word versus, not just VS, it's V-E-R-S-U-S. We're on all platforms that you find your podcasts on. Yeah, if you're listening to Geek Polymath, you can find Marvel vs. Marvel on whatever platform you're currently listening on, basically. Absolutely, yeah. And and you can get all the links and find out more about us and learn what episodes are coming up and kind of watch along with the show if you want to by following us on Twitter, uh, where we operate as at Marvel Versus. And again, it's V-E-R-S-U-S, the full word. Brilliant, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being my guinea pig for Geek Polymath. Thank you. me mark adams at mark adams hc on twitter the show's twitter handle is at don't say the c pod the theme tune was composed by zach Graygun and the logo created by carl bryan thank you for listening elsewhere on we made this Frame to frame. Just the, there's certain ways that he, that Sean Connery delivered lines in the, the film that really sort of stuck with me. So when when the, the room is on fire and they're tied up in the Nazis and they go into the fireplace and it spins around yeah. and he just says, our situation has not improved. <laughs> just his delivery on that I, line is so dry and droll. I love it when he when he goes, uh, I find that if I just sit down and then he sits in the seat and then the seat goes, the solution presents itself. <laughs> and he's already... <laughs> Cerebral jukebox. I had to sort of stop what I was doing and get to it, find out who it was and you know, see what else she'd done and find out a little bit more about her as well. Um, and she's incredible. Like I'm totally in love with her now as well. <laughs> I, I mean, just from going off what we're talking about there, it's sort of in her gap year, she learned how to arrange Mediterranean music and then mm-hmm. went off and studied both Spanish medieval history and art in a gap year yeah when you're not really supposed to be doing anything that's it yeah exactly that's just nuts isn't it life's milestones what song did you pick as your first dance oh uh we had i know it yeah you go ahead it's the song good day was that our first dance yep yep no yep no yes not our official first dance yep no yep (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she, she's that's wrong a jukebox song yep no it's the song good day no by jukebox the ghost that's, that's the first on the album but that wasn't our first dance you wrote a song for our first dance oh that's right i did i did write a song you surprised me that's right i did i love that i forgot that check out all of these shows and more on the we made this podcast network